Hi, friends. Welcome to The Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walk by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. My guest today is Kareem McBean. Kareem is a good friend of mine and a member of our small group. Kareem is a husband and a father to two beautiful young daughters. Recently, Kareem had a serious health situation that caused him to reevaluate a lot of things in his life. This time of dealing with physical health issues forced Kareem to become more dependent upon Jesus, and it served to remind him of God's faithfulness. So here is my interview with Kareem McBean. much for joining me tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So, Kareem, you were recently on my husband Phil's podcast, Reclaiming the Faith. I think it was episode 117. I looked it up before. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have that good of a memory. That is impressive. That Um, is impressive. Yeah. So I'm excited to have you on today so we can just talk about what God's been doing in your life in this recent time. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to lately. Uh, well, um, once again, my name is Kareem McBean and uh, born in St. Thomas Virgin Islands, mm-hmm. May 26, 1981. Wow. Dropping the birth date in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would make me 40. Mm. Uh, Going to be 41 in May. And um, so I was born there. Uh, my parents were together, uh, but they were not married, and um, and so I was born, played baseball growing up, was pretty good. Um, actually, uh, if the truth be told, I was probably uh, on my way to some form of uh, professional career. Played played through uh, little league, high school, um, but I had back problems, mm. so that was not going to work. And um, I've had this conversation multiple times with several people. I think, not I think, I know if, if I had continued down that route, um, it would have been, I would have either never found God or it would have been uh, a million times harder because mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that come with um, playing professionally. Yeah. And I don't think at the time I would have been strong enough to resist those things. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, grew up in the Virgin Islands, born and raised. Um, I actually spent my 10th grade year in Florida mm-hmm. because we had a hurricane in 1996, Hurricane Maryland, uh, that totally messed up the island. And at one point, the uh, school had talked about retaining or starting at a really late date. Mm-hmm. which may have affected some people's, you know, what grade they were in. And so I told my mom, I said, I want to go to the States. Yeah. Because I don't want to do 10th grade again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went there, lived with my grandmother uh, and my god sister for that year, mm-hmm. um, and then went right back for 11th and 12th. Yeah. So uh, born and raised, graduated St. Thomas Virgin Islands, moved to Tennessee in... 1998, fall of 98, uh, went to Tennessee Tech University, spent five years there, graduated spring of 03, (laughs) and uh, got my bachelor's in special ed. Then came the drifter part of my life, where I went from living with my mom to living with my grandmother and living on my own and... Mm -hmm. And I did that for about, um, well, I went to, I was going into speech grad program at Tennessee State. So I did a year of prerequisites at Tennessee State. Mm -hmm. After I did that year is when I started wandering. Yeah. (laughs) And so ended up uh, eventually in Valdosta State University in Georgia for graduate school of speech pathology um, and stayed there for a year and a half, and then graduated um, December 
of 06. Okay. And after that, uh, a week later, proposed to my then girlfriend, mm-hmm. who became my fiance, who is now my wife of almost 15 years. Wow. And moved to Houston in, actually, December 31st, 2006. Okay. Moved to Houston. It was, that, it was the night before New Year. Okay. And came to Houston and, um, yeah. Yeah. You got, you got two beautiful girls. Yes. 11 and 9. Yeah. And Karis, you are. Gabrielle and Chrislyn and Elise. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And you work as a speech therapist now. Yes. And, and so you work with like all different ages. Um, well, I do assessment for all different ages. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, on a given day, I might, I might begin the day testing a two year old or a kid that's almost about to be three. Yeah. And in the afternoon, I'm testing a high school student that stutters. Oh, okay. So it, it does run the whole gamut. That's cool. Um, so it gives me good experience. And I love assessment. I didn't at first because I was doing it with other things, mm-hmm. arts, therapy, um, logging, all these different things. Yeah, there's but a lot when, of paperwork to yeah, the yeah. job. Yeah, so assessment to me became another thing that I had to do. So I I wasn't really into it, but once it became, uh, I had a position where I was um, sort of overseeing slash helping out other therapists. And so I ended up doing some testing for them. Mm -hmm. Well, once I started doing testing for them, then I started doing a little bit more, a little bit more. And then before you know it, I'm testing exclusively. And so that became uh, a passion. That's awesome. Because I got to do assessment. And for me, it's... um, it's like a puzzle, mm-hmm. right? And you, yeah. from the time you get the uh, referral, all you get are the pieces to the puzzle. And then as you're testing, you have to sit there and put the puzzle together and figure out what's going on uh, with this kid. And so that part's fun. It brings yeah. out the investigator in me. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's awesome that you get to use those strengths in that way. Yeah. So um, you... I guess it was the week leading into Christmas, you started to have some pretty significant health stuff happening. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to let you kind of share about that. Okay. So um, the Monday is December 20th. Okay. Um, so, and I've been told at this point, I guess I need to assume they're connected um, Saturday, I had a really bad headache, mm-hmm. like a really, really bad headache. And my wife had given me, uh, you know, a couple of different things to take to try to lessen the pain. The yeah. pain. Mm-hmm. So that was the Saturday. Sunday, I was fine. We went to church. After church, we went to, uh, well, we were coming home and we stopped at the gas station to vacuum out the car, did all that. Everything was fine. Went to sleep Sunday night. Um... Monday, which is the first day of the two-week Christmas vacation, Uh (laughs) Um, I wake up and my wife is on the phone and I open my eyes and I'm on the bed. My wife's on the bed, but the bed's up at the ceiling, Mm. right? So I kind of blink, kind of blink, and then right about now I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm just... You know, I'm just dreaming. Because I've had dreams before where I'm dreaming that I'm dreaming, right? <laughs> so, like, I wake up, and then it's like, no, no, no. Then I wake up, then I'm really up, right? Yeah, so I'm it's like, like okay. the inception. Yeah, so I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a dream. Yeah. So let me wake up from the dream. So then I started, like, blinking, blinking. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this is not a dream. So now the uh, the bed is still up there. And I'm like, you know, okay, this is interesting. So I... I think I lay there for like another three to five minutes. So then I open my eyes again and I start blinking. So now the bed has come down from the ceiling, mm-hmm. but the whole room is spinning. Wow. And so at this point, I do realize, okay, something's not right here. Um, and so I said, and I've been telling people, I decided to do one of the... Uh, unwisest things I've ever done, which was, I said, I'm going to stand up. Yeah. (laughs) 
stand up and uh, tried to make my way to the living room, and I just kind of like stagger and hit things on the way through. Mm-hmm. My wife is on the phone with her mom, and she goes, "Hey, you okay?" And I say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm good." But she's looking at me, and I'm to this point. Well, to her at this point, I probably look like I would probably liken it to somebody who's maybe had too much to drink, right? Yeah. And they're just trying to, you know, get from one place to the next. So she says, you're not okay. So she tells my mom, let me call you back. So by this point, I make it out to the living room. And when I get to the living room, um, I sit on the couch. And my youngest daughter was already up. So she's kind of like, are you okay? What's going on? So I sit down on the couch. As I sit down on the couch, here it comes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so my body just starts to go into this thing where... I'm vomiting, but I'm not yeah. vomiting anything. Yeah. Right? I'm just vomiting just a little bit of saliva because it's just there. Yeah. So then my wife says, well, let's get you some juice. So she gets me, I believe it was orange juice. I drink the orange juice, and I start to throw up. Well, then I'm kind of throwing up the orange juice. Yeah. So there's nothing really there. Yeah. So that was interesting, but it was very forceful. Like, it was to the point where uh, at certain points I had, I, I didn't stop breathing, but it was hard for me to breathe. Yeah. It was that forceful. Kind of like a dry heave. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so that concerned me because I was thinking, what if I, what if this goes on so long I can't catch my breath? Yeah. So I thought, you know, okay, that's, and this had never happened to me before. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, you know, this is, this is getting a little interesting. So... Um, I get, I make it back to the room and some way, somehow I figured out if I lay down, I won't throw up Okay. because I laid back down and I realized, oh, I'm laying down. I don't throw up. So I just, I stay, you know, in a laying down position. Well, for one reason or another, I can't remember. I actually got up a couple of times and as soon as I got up, here comes the, yeah. the throwing up again. Mm-hmm. Well, I learned in the end that my body thought I was upside down, mm-hmm. which was why I had the sort of imbalance in myself. Yeah. Uh, because my perception of it was that I was upside down. Um, so we get in there and uh, my wife gets me to, you know, a vomit bag and I've got the bag in front of me and I'm doing that. And so I said, you know what, let me lay down. And uh, if there are... 24 hours in a day, I would say I was laying down 22 of them. Mm. I mean, I laid down for hours. I did not get up. I got up to use the bathroom. I think I got up to eat something, but then I laid back down. I mean, I was just laying down all day. Um, And at this point, I didn't realize I'd had a stroke. We were thinking a really bad migraine, Mm -hmm. Omicron variant, or that I had something bad to eat. From the yeah. the nausea and the vomiting. Because when we looked online, we saw that uh, one of the main symptoms at that point of Omicron variant was dizziness and headache and nausea and vomiting. So mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, you know, that's what that is. Yeah. So we didn't go to the hospital. We didn't do anything because we were thinking a day or two, you know, I'll feel better. Uh, so that's Monday. Mm-hmm. We get to Tuesday, I think, uh, late Tuesday. Uh, I attempted to take a shower. I don't know what you call them, but the things that you hold on to in the bathroom. Handrail, that, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, not the handrail. It holds the soap. This oh. little small thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I had to hold on to that the whole time. Yeah. So um, it was very dizzy in there. It was very, very, very hard, and it was very laborious. Um so that was late Tuesday. So then Wednesday comes around, and I'm, I'm, I'm still laying down. And I told my wife, I said, you know what? If I don't feel better tomorrow, we need to go to the hospital. Because now I'm thinking, I didn't feel well Monday. I was thinking by the end of Tuesday, like when I get up Wednesday, I should be feeling fine. Yeah. Right? So Wednesday, I get up, and I'm like, you know, if I don't feel good tomorrow, we need to go to the, the hospital. Mm-hmm. Or see a doctor or something. So... That happens. Um, now, one of the things that did happen was I lost my, like, I wasn't hungry, yeah. right? So um, I wasn't eating much. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife was giving me some different supplements. Um, 
that were helping, but they weren't helping with the vertigo. Yeah. Um, because by the time we got to Wednesday, there was no more nausea and vomiting. That was gone. Yeah. By Wednesday, the headache was pretty much gone. But the vertigo and the sort of feeling real weak, that was still around. Yeah. And that was Wednesday and then Thursday. So then Thursday, we made a sort of a, you know, we took an active try at getting into a hospital. There were so many people yeah. trying to get tested for the Omicron variant that it was hard to get in almost yeah. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we weren't able to get in Thursday. So what we did Friday was we got up early around 630 and we went to uh, an urgent care mm-hmm. and we sat at the door from my wife sat there from like 645 uh, well maybe like 715 somewhere in there and we were the first ones yeah. and we were there before you know and but sure enough we were the first ones and there was maybe eight people behind us before it even got yeah. open and everybody after us except one person I think which came later they all wanted to be tested yeah. so once again it was getting filled up with the people that want, wanted to be tested. Yeah. So we get into the urgent care, and the lady says, okay, we tell her everything. She says, okay, I'm going to give you the uh, test for, for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Well, that is... <laughs> Have you had the COVID-19 test? Yeah. Are okay. you really going to act like this I is a think, big deal? Come on, Curry. <laughs> I think what they do... I think I have the I have the answer to your your problem. <laughs> well, my problem really. <laughs> I think with women they decide. Oh, you know, women, they you know we don't want to we don't want to stick it up too far up their noses. They're women. We want to take it easy. And when it comes to the men, they go, Oh, this guy, yeah, this guy can take it. The lady oh, okay, sticks I'm this stop you right Q-tip there. My dad so did a test on far. me. <laughs> did not even show any more. personality. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, dad? Oh, even more. He probably go, oh, you know, so. Just. Oh, God. <laughs> because when my youngest daughter got COVID, we went to go get tested, and the lady was in this booth type of setup. Well, she gave us the Q-tip. Yeah. And so we got to swab ourselves. Well, that was great because, you know, we just, and she tested <laughs> positive and I didn't. But the point was, you could swab yourself oh. and get good results. Every other time I've taken it, it's these nurses that come and stick this thing <laughs> up my nose like they're trying to get to my eyes or something. And in, in a couple of occasions, I've had to, like, pull away. Like, that hurts, you know. Now, after all after all you've gone through medically, after all I've you gone still through, are going to get hung up on yes. this COVID test. And <laughs> one of the bad parts, I know it doesn't sound bad in relation to everything else. Yeah. One of the bad parts about that Friday, Christmas Eve, was I had three COVID tests. Oh, okay. Your poor sinuses. (laughs) My nose was on fire. So (laughs) the first one I got was at that urgent care. Lady test, she comes back. She's like, okay, it's negative. She goes, but you got to have, you kind of have some symptoms that are a little bit more serious. We want to send you to an emergency room. So we go to the emergency room and, you know, I talk to them they admit me, and, um, you know, they come in, they do the test again. So, yeah. first of all, I'm thinking, you know, this is the age of communication. Yeah. I just had it done, right? <laughs> you could call. You could say, hey, guy, uh, where did you just go to? I could give you the place. I could tell you where it is. You could call and say, hey, you just gave him a COVID test. What did it come out to? No. They want to do their own COVID tests. So the lady comes in and violates me once again. And they give me the test. That's negative. Then I guess they had already started setting up the CAT scan. So they come in, they wheel me off to the CAT scan, do that. Took me less than five minutes, come back into the room. So doctor comes in, guy named Dr. Jaber, very nice doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, you were there. Uh, Alpha 1960 and yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. that is, uh, that emergency room, mm-hmm. and um, comes in and says, look, man, he said, I don't know how to tell you this, but you had a stroke. <laughs> like, 
And I was like, the first thing I said to him is, man, I'm 40. I can't have a stroke. That's not, I was like, are you sure? He goes, yeah, I'm pretty sure. He said, we did the CAT scan, looked at your brain, and, you know, it looks like you had a stroke. And I said, well, you know, is it a possibility I didn't have a stroke? He goes, no, we're pretty sure. So then, you know, I'm a worst case scenario person. So I say to him, okay. I said, I know there's a lot you can tell me. I said, but I need the worst case scenario. What is, what's, you know, how long is it going to take before I feel like myself again? So he said, you know what, man, it could take up to a year. And I thought, hmm. Hmm. So I had two thoughts um, because I'm naturally an optimist. So the first thought was a pessimistic thought followed up by the optimistic thought. The first thought was a year? Yeah. I can't even stand up straight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do that for a year, you know. Um, but then I had an optimistic thought, which was a year is not that long of a time. Yeah. And I could live to be 90. I wouldn't even think about the year. Yeah. Right. So uh, and, and let me back up on Friday when I woke up uh, before then, everything was fine. But on Friday, when I woke up, I lost about, I would say, 15 to 10 percent of my right hand function. Mm hmm. That was interesting because even when they had questioned me at the emergency room, they were like, well, you know, what are your symptoms? And I said, this is actually a new symptom that started today, you know. Yeah. And so it kind of aligned with what they had found. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's called a cerebral, um, cerebral artery dissection. Mm -hmm. Um, In some cases, a vertebral as well, VAD. And if you look it up, it will say that it's a common stroke among the young. Okay. And in some cases, it'll say among the young and healthy. Uh Uh-huh. So apparently, when I read that, I didn't, I felt, it made me feel a little bit better because it it showed me that it was something that was sort of common, but yet uncommon for me because Mm -hmm. I would consider myself a healthy young person. Yeah. And so would almost everyone else who had the same stroke. Yeah. So, um. So they do the CAT scan. So then the guy says, well, uh, well, they start doing these activities with me. Yeah. And there's one of them where I'm supposed to touch their finger and then touch my nose. Mm-hmm. Well, now I can do it. But then it was like, I'm hitting my eye and I'm hitting this <laughs> and I'm hitting that. And it, it was like clear that I had lost, you know, but then obviously with this hand, it's, you know, my left hand, it's great. So that occurs. So he comes in, he says, we need to get you to uh, a stroke unit. And I said, okay. So he said, what we're going to do is we're going to make some calls. We're going to see who's, you know, who's got some room. And we're going to get you there. We'll get an ambulance, all this stuff. And so I'm thinking, it, so he leaves. And I'll never forget, on the TV is a Christmas movie that I had seen before. So I'm watching the movie, but I'm not really watching the yeah. movie because I've already seen it. But I'm kind of watching the movie and I'm just thinking, what am I doing here right now? <laughs> like stroke and then as i'm sitting there the room's still kind of spinning a little so the vertigo is really kicking in so um then i started thinking you know at i would say at all points my faith was involved so i never got to the point where i was overwhelmed it just never overwhelmed me um so the guy comes back in maybe 40 minutes later, it had been a minute, and uh, he says, we got you into Memorial Hermann. He gave me the nurse's name, the floor number. I think he even gave me the room number. Yeah. So then my wife calls me, and we're talking about it, and I could tell she's just like, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, no, we, you know. Yeah. So then she says, uh Something happened, and she said, well, let me, you know, let me call your mom and just let her know and your dad or whatever. So she calls my mom. My mom and my wife apparently have this conversation where my mom informs my wife that when she was in an emergency room, she was going to the hospital, and the uh, emergency vehicle cost her about $3,000, hence where you came in, right? Uh, <laughs> my wife was like... Um, I talked to your mom and she said X, Y, Z. And she was like, is there any way that I can take you? Because that's one less thing, yeah. you know, we have to we have to worry about down the line. 
So I asked the nurse and I said, hey, you know, my wife says she can come back. She can get me. Can they take me in? So she said, yeah, that sounds good. That's fine. You're stable enough, which to me was already a sign, a positive sign. Yeah. I felt like if there was anything uh, remotely um, urgent, questionable yeah. yeah, about it, they would have said, no, you need to go in the, right. we're putting you in the ambulance. Mm -hmm. So, and the ambulance, I don't know if they were coming for someone else, but they actually came. Mm hmm and then the lady said, hey, they're outside. Are you sure you want to sure you want to wait? And I said, yeah, yeah. My wife's coming with uh, a friend of mine to, <laughs> to get me and take me, yeah. take me to the hospital. So then uh, you guys come, and then we go to the hospital. Then we get to Memorial Harmon, and uh, we wait for a second. They, they just wanted to clarify something. We get upstairs, and so now I'm at Memorial Harmon, fourth floor stroke unit. And as I've been told, and I even asked one of the nurses, one of the best stroke units in uh, Houston. Probably so, one of the best in the country, honestly. Med yeah. centers, pretty, oh, see, yeah, pretty yeah, well yeah, known for that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that made me feel pretty good. So I get there, and uh, they tell me, <laughs> hey, it's time for you to lose the clothes, man. You know, they gave me the gown, and I'm like, oh. Because the one guy came in, and I said, is it possible that I could keep my clothes? You know, he goes, no, you got to wear the gown. So change into the gown. I'm there about 40 minutes, just kind of, you know, sitting there still thinking. And they come in and the guy goes, okay, we got you lined up for a CAT scan. And that was the beginning of uh, <laughs> one of the wildest Christmases I'll ever be a part of. I think between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, they probably ran anywhere from six to seven tests on me. Wow. Um, I had a CT scan, uh, something called a scan with contracts, I believe, or contrast. Contrast, yeah. Yeah, see, there's a nurse in you. Scan with <laughs> contrast. Then the regular CAT scan, then I had an MRI, then I had a echogram, echogram? Echocardiogram? Echocardiogram, where yeah. they checked my heart. Like, like this ultrasound of your heart. There you go. And then they, in that one, they <clears throat> put something in me that when they're looking in the machine, they can see white bubbles around my heart Okay. to make sure that's fine. They took all the blood that I had and they ran <laughs> tests. They ran to make sure I didn't have diabetes, that I didn't have any other conditions. Um, they did, there's something where they press a, uh, sort of like a, not a needle, but like a, maybe, the only thing I can think of, and I'm sorry, some of my vocabulary is interesting right now. <laughs> the top of a plunger, not the part that actually plunges, but the other part. Like the wooden like, part? Like a broom. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> they stuck something like that against my neck. Yeah. And once again, they're looking at this screen, and she said she's looking at my at my vessels. At that point, they're looking at it to make sure that, one, I don't need surgery, and that, two, I don't need to go on some drug named Efron or Efron mm. or something like that. Mm. Some kind of more serious coagulant drug like, yeah. um, and undoubtedly more expensive um, so they did, like I said, it was, it was a numerous test. Then Tons they gave me a shot yeah. that because I was laying down, they gave me a shot in my stomach, um, at least once a night that would help circulate the blood in my lower extremities because okay. I wasn't walking around. The occupational therapist, therapist came in, made me walk. Um, also... <laughs> She would take me for a walk, mm -hmm. and we would pass by these bins of either gowns or towels, and she would take one off and throw it down. And so she did that to me the first time. She goes, can you pick that up for me? And I said, oh, you threw it down. <laughs> you pick it up. She goes, no, I really need you to help me. I said, no, I'm, no, you threw it down, you pick it up. So it wasn't at that point that I realized, oh, she's trying to get me to, because I really didn't catch on to what she was doing because she yeah. just kind of picked it up. And, and I was like thinking, why is she just throwing things on the floor? <laughs> you know? So I said, no, you threw it down. You pick it up. Because 
you know, I just had a stroke. I can't be picking up things. Yeah. Um, so then she kind of, you know, let me know, no, this is what I want you to do. So I did some of that. Um, the PT came by. He took me for a walk as well. And, and both of them, when they're walking me, they have these belts mm-hmm. around my chest, which is how I know I'm making progress now because I'm walking without a walker and this belt because uh, they would have to hold me with the belt. Yeah. So the PT says to me, um, <laughs> he says, stop, walk backward and look left. And I thought, this is going to get real interesting. I think I took two steps and I was already yeah, like getting ready to follow. He kind of, you know, held up the belt really quick. He goes, okay, now we know what your weakness is mm-hmm. <laughs> because we were walking and he was like, your walking looks good. But to me, it doesn't because I'm just, the vertigo is just everywhere. Yeah. You know, like I can't, uh, even to this day, like if I'm walking, I, I'm just, I'm really concentrating. Mm-hmm. Um, I still can't run. Um, I still wouldn't be able to ride a bike. Like those things would probably make me fall uh, more than not. So um, so we did all that. I was there Christmas Eve from maybe five or six, yeah. right? somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And I think I stayed till Wednesday. Um, I was supposed to go home a little bit earlier, but they had done a scan on my lower right neck, the cerebrum area. <clears throat> and they were making sure that the swelling was going down. That's another thing they did was gave me this two percent saline drip i believe it's called or yeah and and that would apparently sort of catalyst the uh the swelling going down in my brain so So, they did that and they had it hooked up to the ivy that was next to me yeah Um, but they wanted to make sure that it continued to go down Uh, and another reason they kept me was because they just could not figure out why i had the stroke yeah. Um, well, I'm sure you're thinking that too. You're wondering, yeah. you know, I'm 40, I'm healthy. Well, uh, yes, but sometimes I think of things a little differently. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, from maybe about an hour after the guy told me I had a stroke at the emergency room, one of the first thoughts that came to my mind was the body is imperfect, right? Yeah. There's like, I don't want to exaggerate and say a million, but there's hundreds of things that could go wrong on any given day yeah. that have nothing to do with any other thing in our life. You know what I mean? Right. There are people who, you know, eat great, cycle every day, and they drop dead of a heart attack. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like, this guy's 600 pounds, mm-hmm. and he'll never die of a heart attack, you yeah. know? So that was one of the thoughts that I had was, you know, the body's just, it's just imperfect. So some of my resolve was sort of, in that basket where I said, you know what, you know, the body's just, you know, it's unpredictable. Right. So I had a stroke. I'm 40, you know. Um, Were you scared? Uh, for my family, yes. For me, no. Um, I was never scared. Uh, but for my family, yes. Because How I, so? Well, I had to think about... Um, and if my wife hears this podcast, she's probably going to turn it off at this point. But I had I had some pretty morbid thoughts yeah. in the hospital. I started thinking about uh, what my funeral would look like. What would they say? Yeah. Um, but then at that funeral, I see my family. That's what makes me scared, right? So um, for, from that aspect, yes. For myself, no. Um, uh, I mean, I wasn't even, I wasn't even to say like scared for my parents or something. Yeah. You know, my parents have lived long, full lives. Uh, but my family, that yeah. was, that was very concerning for me. Um, so I was there and I got all the treatment that I needed. Um, and I got a chance to talk to the nurses because apparently, um, you know, when people come there, a lot of times they're not, some people unfortunately unable to talk or just yeah. not, their cognition is not where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So maybe the conversation's uh, not where it needs to be as well. And so um, one of the guys had commented on, on being able to kind of talk with me about, you know, life and different things. And um, the nurses were so good. Yeah. Um, you talk about people who, it reminded me, because I've worked in a hospital before. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of the 
it's like the heart of nurses, right? I mean, they just serve all day. That's what they do, you know. Mm-hmm. And these people were doing it with a smile on their face. They're very, they travel pretty light. And I know it's a lot because they, they're like everyone else. When they go home, they've got something going on. Right. And it may not be too grand, but when you, you've got something going on in your life. But, you know, by the way these people were acting at work, you would never know. Yeah. I mean, they were just, um, and, you know, they always wore masks, but you can tell when people are smiling when they wear a mask, you know. Right. And well, so, that makes me think, when we dropped you off there that day, I don't know if you remember much of it, but, like, we, one of the things when we prayed for you, like, we prayed for, like, you to have those kind of, like, important conversations with the yeah. staff. And, like, I knew, like, <laughs> I mean, you were sitting next to me and you had told me, like, yeah, I had a stroke. Like, I mean, I, I obviously by that point I'd had conversations with your wife. But, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, it doesn't feel any different other than you look like you're not feeling great. Like, yeah. But, but it was we were definitely. Like, I was praying, like yeah. God, give them opportunities to, yeah, to talk to people because, I'm like I was thinking what you said. I'm sure a lot of their patients mm-hmm. may not be, be able to, and you yeah, know, what a blessing. You could be in that time. Did you feel like you you got the opportunity for that? Like- um, I know I did one time because uh, a lot of times they were in and out. Um, I did get a chance to share my faith. Yeah. Um, or just to like bless them with like you know. Yeah. Now one lady, I, I wish. Uh, I wish I had more, mm-hmm. uh, but I will say while I was there, um, a lot of the times I was tired. Right, because they wouldn't let me get any sleep. Yeah, that's understandable. The, the one guy, the nurse named Dwight, he said, you know, he said something about coming in to give me a shot. And I said, man, I'm going to sleep. I just need some sleep. Yeah. And I'll never forget him saying, you're not here to get sleep. He goes, you are here so we can figure out what's wrong with you. He yeah. said, when you leave, you can get some sleep. And yeah. I thought, it should be the other way around. Like, when you go to the hospital, it's like, ooh, good. <laughs> That's how to get some rest, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sick. I need to get some rest. Yeah. Like, that's not how it works. Nope. So, um, this one lady, uh, my OT, uh, she was actually uh, Hindu. Mm-hmm. She was Indian. Um, and she uh, meant, made a couple of mentions to me about it. Uh, but the problem is, <laughs> is that uh, we were walking... And doing a lot of movement. Yeah. So I don't want to say I couldn't share, but there was so much going on. Yeah. I'm just trying to keep my balance. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So keeping my balance and sharing the Lord to me was just coming across like a lot. Like I'm just trying to not fall. Yeah. You know, and so, she, yeah, I, I wish I had a little bit more ammunition for her. Um, yeah. That's, that's good, though, that you were just able to, I mean, just... Sometimes it's, you know, you don't have to say anything yeah. necessarily. I mean, there's, I think, just your yeah, your joy in the midst of something difficult. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, kind of along those lines, like, do you, like, do you feel like you saw evidence of God's grace that um, you could be joyful in in the midst of that? So... Excuse me. I've uh, I had back surgery in 2010, mm-hmm. and for reasons that I guess I understand, it wasn't seen as like it was surgery. Yeah. But it wasn't. Uh, I mean, every time you take, every time you you have a surgery, you take a risk of life and death. Right. But it just was not, and I think um, in 2010 I would have been 30. Uh huh. So the risk of me not making it off the surgery table was just not something we really thought about. We just prayed right. that it would be successful. This go-around, um, I saw, and this is, this is uh, the number one sign for me yeah. of, of God's faithfulness. I saw so many people that prayed for me. It was, and and it was it was one of those things where, um, <laughs> my wife is gonna love this. I'm gonna liken it to an <laughs> ant pile. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm interested in this analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, see yeah. Where this and, goes. and it just came to me off the top of my head. Okay. My life was like an ant pile. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the stroke stepped on it. <laughs> and when it stepped on it, all the ants came out. Yeah. Meaning everybody started praying. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I see it. Like some, you have something that's sort of settled and in one way, and then in one second it changes and it's just, you know. Yeah. So it's like an ant pile. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, you're praying. Your husband, people from church, people from a current church, people from my old church, my mom's side, my dad's side, my wife's uh, family. Yeah. Uh, you know, so many people praying, um, and they're asking God to, uh, you know, restore me. Because see, here's the thing too. When I had the stroke, you met me. My wife was obviously there. But once you get away from the people that see you, yeah, it starts to take on its own definition. Okay. Right? Almost, I guess almost like Christ a little bit, mm-hmm. right? But so my wife tells my mom, well, then my mom tells my dad. So my mom tells my dad, hey, you know, Kareem had a stroke. Well, what's my dad going to do? He's going to go to the worst possible case scenario. Yeah. My whole right side is paralyzed. Yeah. Right. Or whatever, whatever you think the worst part of a stroke is, that's where you're going to go. Yeah. So outside of the the four people that saw me, which would be you, my wife, my two kids, yeah. everybody's thinking almost we don't know what it is, but yeah. it sounds bad. Right. Mm-hmm. You say the word stroke and people get a little, you know, uh, cautious. So all these people are thinking that I had a stroke and they just go. Well, I had a stroke, but they're thinking. You know, yeah, they're kind of filling in the blanks. Absolutely. And so they start praying and um, I started getting text message. I saw emails, uh, phone calls. Um, and it was one of those things where uh, God literally showed me um, how important I was. Yeah. And I'd never known that. You I mean, knew like I was to, in, to other people, to other people. Yeah. I know that I'm important to my wife and kids, but I did not realize how important I was to other people. Mm. And when you realize that, then you start to think, I need to do a little bit more with with what I have, right? Because people are, in one way or another, counting on me. Like, even if somebody's not counting on me to give them money or to give them you know, maybe something material. Yeah. They're also counting on me to be an accountable Christian. Yeah. Right? There's 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 something other people are relying on me for. And so when you realize how important you are, you start to think about what those things are. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I, let's say, I decide to just leave the faith. Yeah. Then there might be a guy that I run into and he says, yeah, you know, I went to church and I told him... Stop worrying about that church thing, man. Let that go. Mm-hmm. Well, if you run into that same guy, I've now affected your life. Yeah. So now you have to talk to him all over again because he ran into me mm-hmm. who's left the faith. Yeah. Right? So we're all important. Like the ripple, of, ripple effects of yeah, what, our decisions. The, some movie about that years ago. The, the, the butterfly. butterfly. I there never you go. saw the movie, but there I know the premise of it. <laughs> yeah. And I never saw it, but I think it's Keanu Reeves. Okay. I believe. But... The great theologian, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> he once said... No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I realized how important I was, and I realized um, sort of what I meant to other people. Now, one of the things that I did... When I came out of the hospital, I would say about three or four days after, I go through my email... And someone was like, just, you know, start cleaning out your email, just old emails, just get rid of them. Because at this point, I'm even thinking to myself, I need to just, my life needs to be simple. Yeah. So, you know, how humans are, we try to grab what's tangible. So I said, oh, you know what I can do? I can clean out my email. So I started going back into some of these old emails that were over 10 years old, friends that I had from college, grad school. And... I reached out to some of them and, you know, I told them what had happened and their reactions were just like everybody else. Like, what? You know, that's not you. You know, like, why would that happen to you? Um, 
one of my friends, I actually thought I was joking. I had to actually tell him, no, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so um, so you start to realize that all these different people, uh, you know, they view it in a different way. Now, I will say um, one thing that did make me uh, feel better is that everyone that was praying for me saw me the same way. Yeah. They saw me as a Christian. And so I thought, okay, I must be doing something right. You know, um, and that helped me. But the to be able to see God, to be able to show me, because I think I don't want to say it was hard, but it was hard to show me that people actually cared for me, and not on a basic level, yeah, not, like 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 not to you and I or you and your husband, but just as a whole. Yeah, I think sometimes I would I would tend to think that people don't care. Unless it's like, you know, their immediate family or something. Yeah. Um, but I think God had to use that to show me that, no, people do actually care for you. Yeah. They're not going to uh, pray for you when they could either be praying for someone else or doing something else. Yeah. Um, I got a couple of emails of people just telling me, you know, you know stay strong in the faith and, you know, we're praying for you. Um, so... Like I told you before, one of the things that I saw when I was at the hospital, uh, I did see my funeral. And I remember, um, like, just, like, I'm laying there and I'm in, the, like, this This thing is a whole thing that I'm seeing is playing out. Too much time in the hospital. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. TV's on, but my mind is just elsewhere. Yeah. And I'm laying there in the casket. And I can just hear people, it's almost like different eulogies and people are talking and, um, and then I start hearing people say things like, well, you know, I, just, I didn't talk to him in so long. I just, I, you know, one, one person I'm hearing them say, and they're like, well, I didn't realize he was dead until they called me. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So all these different things are playing into my psyche where I'm like, you know, I have to do better with just even reaching out to certain people that maybe, you know, I don't need to call them every day. No. But sometimes you have these timely calls where yeah. I may call someone and maybe I hadn't spoken to them in a month, and I call them that same day when they're extremely stressed out about X, Y, Z. Right. You know, and I can bring them a message, or I can just tell them something to where they thought, you know, I am so glad you called me. Yeah. You know, and so, but I'm not having those conversations if I'm not if I'm not reaching out. So I did a lot of since I've come out of the hospital, I've done a lot of reaching out. Mm -hmm. It's been very consistent. Um, I was telling my wife, I talk to my parents now. <laughs> Uh, way more often, uh, my dad calls me. Um, <laughs> when I first talked to him, uh, I could almost smell the relief coming off of his shoulders yeah. because he'd heard I'd had a stroke. That's all he knew. He hadn't talked to me. So I mm -hmm. called him from the hospital, and I could tell the fact that I could talk to him, uh, that he was he was feeling a lot better. But I told my wife, I said, he's talking so fast. <laughs> he's He's just talking fast and he's asking me like a million questions. He's asking me a lot, yeah. and that's it. So yeah, he's he's he was scared, you know. Yeah. Uh, and the more I talk to him, the more he's he's slowed down again. Yeah. Right. Um, but and you always have these. Uh, a, a lot of people have these near death experiences and all these different things. Um, I think I appreciate the relationship. Um, that I have with God a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, my understanding is absent from the body, present with the Lord. But as I'm here, I can communicate with God a whole lot better. Um, I've done, now I, I do have a little bit more time, but I've yeah. done uh, more reading, more studying, more reflecting. Um, and I think that God used, you know, because in the hospital, they're explaining it as a, quote, freak accident. Yeah. But with God, there are no freak accidents, right? Right. So I see this as sort of a bump in the road. Gone over the bump, still learning how to fully, excuse me, be independent. Because like I said, I'm still at the point where I can't run. And if I got on a bike now, it wouldn't, it wouldn't end yeah. well. Uh, but that's amazing <laughs> that those are like... Two noteworthy yeah. things. Like, I mean, yeah. that's that's huge from where you were and 
to where you are. And Yeah. Yeah, because I ran into um, a young lady at church last week. Mm-hmm. Not this past Sunday, but the one before. And she'd had a massive stroke. Mm. And she's paralyzed on one side. Wow. And she's 35, you know. So um, I'm just, I'm blessed. And I... Um, I'm just so appreciative that so many people, I mean, even when I started talking, like I knew people from church and people from our Bible study groups. I knew that. Yeah. But when I started talking to my mom and she started telling me about my aunt and some family members of hers that was from her husband's side, um, you know, and she was like, these people were praying. They didn't stop praying. They put you in their prayers. And mm. um, you just start to realize it's kind of hard to explain, but when you realize how important you are, it just gives you a whole different perspective on life. Because you, you know, you go, you get up, you go to work, you're around your family, so you you sort of get into this little bubble. But then it bursts that bubble when you realize, oh, there's a whole nother world out there that actually cares about me. I th- I think along with that though, it's also showing the importance to those individuals that prayer plays, mm. because like yes, you are important and. We believe that prayer does something, whether that's changing my heart as a, the person praying or if it's actually, you know, depending on the situation, it may be, you know, something that is causing something to happen. So the power of prayer becomes really evident in those times. And I know one of the things your wife said um, to me in that time was, I think, and and I don't know if you share this same belief, but just that she really struggled asking for help yes. for stuff. And I don't, is that something you feel like is true for you too? Like, um, like it, you know, when people say, hey, let me know if you need anything. And you're like, nope, we're good. Because <laughs> yeah. like, I think that's really common in, yeah. among, yeah. In, in the West, I think, especially. Like we're very independent. We like to handle our own problems. Yeah. Yeah. I would say um, that's a lesson that we can definitely learn. Um, And, you know, you're absolutely right with my wife because, you know, she was kind of raised in a house to where, you know, you get it done. Yeah. Uh, Her her parents are very uh, independent, you know, and so they, you know, they just kind of know how to how to get things done. And so when you actually because when you um, when people help you it gives you a chance to receive, yeah. right? And I think giving is as important as receiving mm-hmm. um, because when you, you know, it's like a bank account, right? If you consistently draw money at some point, you're not going to have any money. Right. You've got to let people put money in your bank too, yeah. you know, so there's a balance there. And so um, I do think that that, uh, that was, you know, surely illuminated during this process that we were um, – Maybe not as as receiving as we should have been, which is you know, and and even that you say that it's it's weird because I did feel when I when I started to find out how many people were praying for me, there was a feeling of what all these people are, you know what I mean? Like yeah, what's because but but you're always on the other end, right? You get yeah. an email, hey, you know, we have a friend of ours. Remember this summer broke his hip. Yeah, right? I remember getting those emails. Hey, this happened. So then you yeah. start praying for this person. You start praying for that person. And you're really on the receiving end. And mm-hmm. then when you are, you go, man, you know, I didn't. It's almost like we're like a body and all the yeah. parts matter. <laughs> it's almost like everybody matters. And yeah. Like, yeah. No, yeah. it's it's, so. it's hard to it's hard to accept that, though, sometimes. So, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I think um, I think, well, you did say it in the West because we yeah. live in this culture that does promote independence and being able to get things done on your own, um, which can be counterculture to what the Bible teaches. Oh, yeah. Um, because if I if I have to depend on someone else, it also creates a level of vulnerability mm-hmm. and it also creates a level of accountability, yeah. right? And I think uh, in today's world, we like to keep those two things at a distance Yeah. Um, because people feel like when they're vulnerable, they're weak. Mm-hmm. Um so I think, you know, a lot of times we struggle with, you know, actually being able to do that. Yeah. Um, so, 
Yeah, and and I will say um, one other thing that I so I like I told you I've been reading and I I've done this before. Yeah. And so I, I was doing it again. Um, so I, I I highlighted my Bible, and one of the things I was looking at um, is prayer because a a lot of uh, what was going on with the prayer just it made me started thinking about prayer and, and all these different things and one of the things I feel like I have learned through this process is um, so everybody's praying for me right and everybody's praying that I get better but I think in the end God kept me alive for a reason right I feel like if, if we want to be alive and we want to be well and we want to be, uh, you know, being able to do certain things, we need to make ourselves to where we're an asset to God, right? Where we, we can be used and not as opposed to, you know, someone who, you know, never thinks about him. It's not, a, you know what I mean? It's not a big well, deal. I mean, yeah, every day is yeah. a gift. So we have to exactly. make it count. Exactly. And so I remember one of the things I started to think about was, um, you know, prayer and when we pray and, uh, you know, for example, let's say someone calls me and they say, hey, you know, uh, pray for Tyler. Yeah. Right. Well, I might say, you know, Lord, you know, help Tyler to get healthy, help him to be there for his family, all these different things. But I may miss the whole point of saying, Lord, bring Tyler to where he needs to be so that he can further the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Which is the which is the main point. So I was I was looking at Acts and I was looking at when the disciples, it was eleven of them, Judas hangs himself. Mm-hmm. And they've decided to get a twelfth disciple. And forgive me, I forgot, but it becomes between Matthias and someone. No, Who's we don't. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's Matthias and another guy, and they yeah. cast lots. Yeah. And so then they decide on one. And the book that I was reading talked about how in their choosing of the one, they were looking at how is this one person going to help us further this gospel? Mm. And I thought to myself, that needs to be the prayer. Um, How is it that when I become well or when I accomplish whatever it is is being prayed for, that that is going to further the gospel, right? I mean, it could be anything. You're praying for a car. How is that car going to help you further the gospel? Are you going to give somebody to, you know, are you going to give somebody a ride to church in it? Mm-hmm. Are you going to use that car to take food to, uh, you know, a shelter? Are you going to use it to go and visit with battered women? Like, yeah. why are you praying for the, whatever you're praying for? How does it further the gospel? Right. Yeah. Because because then I think the prayer comes in alignment with because what if 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 everyone's praying that I become fine but I have no plans on furthering the gospel yeah. and I don't make it, then people say, well, my prayers didn't work. Mm. But the reality might be is that even though you were praying, I had no, I had no plans on furthering the gospel. Yeah. So God may have decided, no, he's done. <laughs> right? I yeah. mean, because we, that's his will to further the gospel. Yeah. If I can get in line with his will, then I know we're doing the same thing. And yeah. I know that's, I think that's the vehicle that prayer should be riding in, is how can I get this person to a place where they can continue to further the gospel or begin to further the gospel? Yeah. Um, and so anyway, yeah. uh, that that's kind of one of the things that, that's kind of the, one of the biggest things that's been with me since I've left the, ho- left the hospital yeah. is, okay, everyone was praying for me and I'm praying for myself. And we're all we're all saying the same thing. Now, how can the gospel be furthered? Mm. We don't want him to just be healthy again. Like I could just be healthy again, but if I have nothing to do with God, then what was the point of me being healthy again? Right. You know what I mean? I mean? It's kind of selfish. It's yeah. and, and it's gonna lead to nowhere. Yeah. I think if we we always have to look at at, at our faith sort of in the end game point of view. Yeah. Right. Um it's kind of like a football game. If we sit down to watch the football game, but we already know the score and the winner, uh, there's going to be ups and downs in, in the football game, but we know the end. Mm-hmm. And I think as Christians, we do. So we need to be, you know, further 
yeah. moving the gospel along, trying to get to the end. Yeah. Um, instead of being stuck on, well, what, you know, what do I need? What do I want to do? Because I've seen people several times, they want to get back healthy so they can get back to work. Yeah. Or get back to whatever their plans were, right? Yeah. Um, this thing in life has inconvenienced them, and they're ready to get back to their schedule. Yeah. Uh, that's not what it's about. A lot know? of times, um, you know, when we do encounter illness, and I'm not saying this is, like, necessarily why God allows these things, because sometimes it's, you know, something very different. But, you know, it hopefully is used as a time to create dependence upon him. Yeah in a new and like profound way. Like, you know, I, I get so hung up in the day to day. I mean, I'm a list maker. Yeah. I'm a check things off, get yeah. it done. And I feel that sense of accomplishment when I yeah. get it done. And it's very, it's very easy to get hung up in those things. Mm -hmm. And that's the determinant of a good day versus a bad day. Did I accomplish my goals for the day? Yeah. Cause even someone as myself who I would consider uh, walking with the Lord, even since the stroke now. So even before I go to sleep, mm -hmm. right, it's different now. Yeah. Because now I go to sleep thinking, Lord, please just wake me up in the morning and keep the bed on the floor. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't want to get up in the bed. So yeah. anything, like things, they don't rattle me, but they make me think, right? Yeah. Like I remember a couple of days ago, uh, my stomach was feeling funny. And I remember thinking, uh -oh. <laughs> Lord, just, just keep me safe, right? Yeah. So even those little things now, I don't take them for granted, yeah. right? And like, I haven't had one since then, but apparently post-stroke, it's like the biggest thing ever when you get your first headache. Everybody's like, uh-oh, yeah. you got a headache. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Are you okay? It's, you know, but um, it does create a dependence. And, yeah. it, it, it's, and I learned through this whole ordeal the power of how God set up the mind, mm. how literally your perception, world being upside down, can change based on something that happens in your body. That's a real thing. Mm -hmm. um, Seems I've heard like of people being dizzy before. There's a spiritual analogy in there somewhere mm. that needs to, our world view <laughs> is upside down and Jesus comes to flip it right side up. There's well, my. I need three, like, same first letter points, and then we're, we got a message. <laughs> um, I heard a pastor years ago say something to that effect. He said, uh, he said, if you want to think biblically, flip everything around, right? For example, let's say mm -hmm. someone says something to you. The world says, say something back. Yeah. Don't let somebody step over you. But then you read the Bible, and it says, love your enemies. Yeah. Right. Everything the world tells you to do, he said, just he said, just flip it and you'll actually you'll get it right. Yeah. And I thought that's actually true in almost everything. Yeah. Just do it the other way. And that's the way Christ tells you to do it, mm -hmm. because it's it's counterculture. Right. The Bible is very counterculture. Yeah. The Christian. For a reason. Mm -hmm. um, it was never meant to fit into uh, the culture, because then you can actually I think if, if it can fit into the culture, then you actually take the power away from it. And mm. you could say, well, my culture is actually the one. So, no, it's not your culture. It's the Bible. Yeah. Because the Bible is actually um, kind of culture. Mm. Yeah. Well, Kareem, I have loved chatting with you. I think there's some really awesome stuff that you've shared today. And Absolutely. I'm just so excited that, like, you know, God is bringing restoration to your body and that you are coming away from this with a new outlook on life. I mean, that's, yeah. I think in a lot of ways that, yeah. You, the experience for you has caused many of us uh, other folks that may be in the same age range to think, oh, man, how quickly things can change. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's good to be that. I mean, it's it's never fun to go through, but it's good to always have our mind kind of yeah. checked. And it's never um, those four days when I was at home with the stroke. um those are not like the best days. I even think, because uh, one night I slept in my daughter's bed because they had, they had come in the room on the bed and I was like, I just can't take it. I need some more space. <laughs> so I went and slept in one of the, but even like I tell people I would lay down and the whole room would lay down mm. with me. You know, it's just, um, but even in those days, uh, it wasn't fun. It wasn't pleasant. A lot of laying down, headaches. Uh, but when you when you always look back on it, you think, 
I don't know if I would be where I am today if I didn't go through that. Like mm-hmm. God couldn't have came to me and said, I want you to feel like you've had a stroke. Yeah. I want you to feel like this, feel like this. And I wanted to create a sense of dependence and accountability for yeah. you. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You have to go through it, right? Uh, then you go, oh, now I get it. Yeah. But, but because you can't, there's no way but through that situation. Mm. And so I think going through that situation gets you to a point where you say, and, you know, I'm 40, so I would be naive to think this is the last thing that's going to come up about my health, right? right. I mean, something's going to happen again. Well, now I have sort of a, I don't want to say a practice, but I have a model yeah. that says when you're going through these things, there's something that's coming up, right? There's something, and it deepens your faith every time. Um, if it's the one thing that takes you out, well, you didn't need your faith anyway because you're on your way to heaven. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it just it you it's a win win situation in the end. Yeah, if you're uh, if you're a follower of Christ, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kareem. I really appreciate it, and I thank you for taking the time out to just chat with me tonight. Kareem's story demonstrates how oftentimes God takes the scary situations in our lives to remind us of our need for Him. Hardships can be wasted or they can become a catalyst for growth and can serve as a reminder that if God was faithful then, He will be faithful in the future. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoy the Faithful Podcast, please take a few moments to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating and a review. Reviews help people find the podcast so that it can be a blessing to them. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. You can find me on faithfulpodcast.podbean.com or on Instagram at faithfulpodcast. Have a great week and remember to stay faithful, friends.